0: Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, let's kick off the week with a Monday, October 25th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Flyers will be back in action coming up on Wednesday. They'll have their first road trip of the season where they will head to Edmonton, Alberta to take on Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl and the Edmonton Oilers and that high-powered offense. Edmonton as of recording right now, 5 and 0 on the season. Only two teams with a record of 5 and 0. That would be Florida, who the Flyers just lost to in game 4 of that four-game homestand. They improved the record to 5 and 0, and the Edmonton Oilers, who are now 5 and 0 as well. They are a plus 11 goal differential. They've won 3 of their games at home, 3 of them on the road, and Connor McDavid is off to a blazing start once again. Uh, a- you know, you love watching Connor McDavid. You love the skills and the pace for which he plays the game and the chemistry that he has with Leon Dreisaitl. But in five games so far this season, again, eye-popping numbers from David. Picked up his 200th goal the other night. In five games, six goals, so more than a, a goal per game, and seven assists, 13 points, averaging about 2.7 points per game. Right now, here in the early season, he gets it done. He's got four, or three power play goals, four power play assists. Their power play is tops in the NHL right now, clicking at damn near fifty percent. So what are you going to do to slow down the Edmonton Oilers? That's the task for Elaine Vigneault and the Flyers' coaching staff. They've gotten their wins over uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver, before they came to Philadelphia, and the Flyers started their season on that Friday with them, uh, went to Edmonton, where Edmonton won that game 3-2 in a shootout. Then they beat Calgary at home 5-2. They beat Anaheim at home 6-5. They beat Arizona on the road 5-1, and they beat Vegas on the road 5-3. So the common denominator there is you see a team – that can score goals. Three times they've scored five goals, one time they've scored six, and the one time that they scored less was a shootout win uh, against the Vancouver Canucks. They can pile it up offensively, but you can also see they're a team that will give up some goals, at least in the last couple of years that has been the case. And it's been McDavid leading the way, Leon Dreisaitl getting the job done there as well. It's not just a one-man threat when you play against Edmonton. McDavid takes up a lot of your planning and, and how you deal with him. But Leon Dreisaitl is a guy that's just a s- small step below. 11 points in five games, four of them goals, seven of them assists, just one power play goal, but three power play assists. So really, I mean, if you look at it and you look at the power play numbers, not only this year but also last year when uh, they were playing in that the North Division, the All-Canadian Division, their power play was spectacular. You can't go on a penalty kill against this team you got to stay out of the box. That's the thing that the Flyers had an issue with against the Florida Panthers. They did a good job killing six of seven uh, Florida power plays, but you can't put yourself in that position against a team like Edmonton. You will not come out uh, feeling good about your game and not come out with a good result if you do. So discipline is going to be of paramount importance, but it's weird to slow down a guy like McDavid and Dreisaitl. You want to put a body on him and be physical, but you're going to have to do it in a clean way or else you're going to pay the price of going on the PK. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk to Tim Saunders. We talked to him a little while back in the offseason about his career and everything else. But now that we're four games in, we've got the homestand in the books, teams heading out on the road, and Tim and Coatsy also heading back out on the road. They they traveled for some of these preseason games, and they did not travel, obviously, last year, uh, with the exception of one game that Tim went to, the Tahoe game. But getting back on the road gives you a whole different perspective for the broadcasters. you know, just from the mood, which we'll talk about on the plane rides and talk about behind the scenes, to actually being in the building to call games and have a vibe and a feel. So Tim and Coates'll be back on the road. and Tim Saunders, joins us right now. He is a legend mind. <laughs> Are you too short to be a legend? Is there a height requirement? I can say that as a short guy. What
1: would be the other word short of uh, a legend? <laughs>
0: a you've been working in the, in this industry a long time, Tim, and you've been around some legends, everybody from Rick Jenneret to uh, Doc Emmerich. Uh, you know, what do all the legends have in common? The great voices of the game. You know what? The one common thread? um
1: and and it's just not in announcers that i've come in contact with my dad always told me this about musicians that he worked with he traveled the world playing uh, uh, music his whole life um and he said even the best musicians are the best people to be around and the most generous people to be around because they're not threatened by anybody if if you you know you're good at what you do um, you don't have to be threatened by other people and you can be a little bit more human.
0: That's a great call because insecurity is ugly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And a lot of times insecurity breeds ego.
1: And and you hear it in so many little ways, if you know how to recognize it. Um, you know, some guys spend so much time trying to show how much they know they're afraid to, um, let on, you know, by asking questions, um, maybe what they don't know. The trick to a good interview, of course, is listening, right? Yeah. And not thinking about how am I going to impress this guy with my next question? And of course, half the time you're asking questions that you know the answers to. But the objective is to get it out of the mouth of the guy you're interviewing yeah. and not be hung up on making yourself look good.
0: It's a great point. I've always said that, that the gold comes in listening to the response and digging deeper. Yeah.
1: And the key word that you just said was listening yeah. and young um, people in our business. Forget that part. Right?
0: Yeah. it like, like radio. And I did talk radio for a really long time. And I guess this is some form of that of content creation. Right. But it, you know, Becoming yourself as a broadcaster takes time. It takes reps because immediately when you get in the chair and you start doing it, you want to be the guys that you loved listening listening growing up. Some combination thereof with something, some part of yourself. But eventually, when you get more comfortable as your career goes on and you have more reps, you finally become yourself. And that's authentic. You're exactly right. And, and if you're trying for too long to copy the people that you grew up listening to, it sounds less than genuine. It sounds phony. Yeah. And people pick up on that. People are smart when they listen, because this is, this is a medium of the ears. So every other sensory is like going on overdrive, you know, kind of picturing everything as well, theater of the mind, Um, which means that you're six foot four, by the way for everybody that's listening <laughs> you get it all the time too i know i do we both have big voices i thought you'd be bigger <laughs> yeah you sound taller yeah yeah i sound better looking too but a- anyway let's get to uh, the point of this conversation a couple things i wanted to get in with you before this first road trip which is kind of a big moment for you as a broadcaster which we'll get to mm-hmm. uh, but i want to start with the homestand you know what did you see out of the homestand you know a lot of new faces tim and, you know, we certainly see a team that doesn't look like the team before. I, I called it a good homestand. It wasn't great. It was decent. Could have been better. I think it was a good start. I'm not going, panicking about anything, and I'm not going crazy about anything. But what did you think of, of the team through the first four games at home?
1: I thought it was encouraging, I guess is the word I'd use. Um you're right. If you're if if you're in this long enough, you kind of get past the hyping everything, and everything's a rosy picture, and every, and and you know you're going to win the cup if you start four and zero, and and of course all of that is nonsense. Uh, it's really easy to get too carried away with especially early success, but the other side of that is true. You can overreact to a rough start. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, they took advantage, I think, for the most part, of starting with four games at home. Elaine Vigneault said it the other night, and you heard him that, you know, when the schedule first came out, they weren't thrilled with that whole week between the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season, and being on the at home for that long before you get out and kind of uh, get together on the road. That could have been looked on as a disadvantage, but the advantage getting back to normalcy is practice time, and that enabled him to lay a lot of groundwork that I think became apparent in those four home games.
0: Yeah, and maybe you see that become even more apparent down the road because that stuff does take, you know, repetition of what you want to do as a team and what you want to be night in and night out for really to settle, sink in and settle and make that your team and that's your identity. We've heard so much about the identity of being difficult to play against, that and something to prove. I think both are very apropos with this team. Um, They certainly look like a team that has each other's backs more than the team did last year, in my eyes.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the thing that really stood out to me in the first four games was not on the ice, but more off the ice. Because that was the great unknown and I think cause of some concern last year was the mix just wasn't right. The room wasn't right. Um, that's kind of a touchy thing to address. Chuck Fletcher sort of acknowledged it before the season actually even came to an end last year. He knew he had a problem. And it, again, it's an intangible. So how do you best fix that? It's not just a matter of replacing individual people. It's finding the right personalities and the right characters that are going to mesh the common theme seems to be if you grew up and were a friend of Kevin Hayes, you're going to fit here because yeah. he's got so many of his former buddies. But uh, what really stood out to me in the first four home games is how close this group already is off the ice. And that may sound like uh, a, a who cares item, but it, it isn't. It's very important that they are playing for each other. They like coming to the rink. They're excited to to all buy in
0: and hold each other accountable. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. And maybe one of the common denominator with, if you're a friend of Kevin Hayes is a lot of those guys have also played for Elaine Vino, So there's a coach familiarity to it and veteran players. they like to know what they're walking into a lot of times, don't they?
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, Elaine can be a challenging, he's kind of a no nonsense. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm looking for. And I'm not going to coddle anybody in particular we're going to demand certain things and you need to get on board with that um you know he's talked about coaching young athletes has changed obviously over the years the and certainly that's true in the nhl the athlete has changed the environment has changed and you have to recognize that to a certain degree and i think he has i think he's made changes with that in mind and i'm encouraged by the by the start, both on and especially though off the ice.
0: Let's talk about Derek Broussard. He was on the podcast last week when I talked to him, he said, nobody's going to touch Drew. Nobody's going to touch Keturier. Nobody's going to touch Proveroff and get away with it in our barn or anywhere else. We play a game just what the doctor ordered. Here's why I like that is if you,
1: you look around the league and especially around this division, other teams kind of added size and toughness. And until um, McEwen came aboard. Zach McEwen uh, picked up on waivers. Um, I'm not sure they had that guy. Nick Sealer obviously has shown a willingness. Nate Thompson tuned some guy up a couple of games ago. Um, yeah, but for messing with Giroud, exactly. Nathan right. Bastion. <laughs> so it goes to back to having each other's backs and yeah. having a guy out there that'll create space for his, his teammates and his line mates. So um, I think they've they've addressed that, and it is a it's a team thing. We're not always talking about fighting. Um that's not the point you you've got, you've got to have the grit and
0: and be able to have each other's back, yeah. And Nathan Bastion, when he went after Jeule on that face off, wrote a check. and <laughs> Nate Thompson cashed it. yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he cashed it with authority, cashed I would say the
1: hard way he cashed it. <laughs> yes, he did and um, and Nate Thompson's not going to do that. But my goodness, it's nice to know that he can.
0: Well, that's, the, that's almost the point of it, isn't it? I'm not yeah. going to do this all the time, but when I do, it's exactly. going to be a problem for the opposition.
1: Exactly right. And it and it's a thing that snowballs, right? So it mm-hmm. gets on and everybody kind of uh, feels a little bit more
0: comfortable to play that role a little bit, I think, and, and that'll be good. All your years calling games, do you believe this statement, physicality breeds more physicality from a team?
1: Yeah, it can. I mean, it can go overboard, of course, mm-hmm. but um, – you know, when when things aren't going well, when you have one of those nights where you're just, you're, you're not in the game, I think that's the first thing you, that's the switch you reach for, right? Yeah. To try to get things going and get some energy and emotion in the game. And there were times last year that I thought they had trouble finding that switch. I wasn't sure that that was there to the extent that
0: maybe it will be now. Yeah, that's almost like the lowest switch on the pole that you don't have to reach for. It's right there. Grab it. It's it's not a skilled situation, and you can really grab the momentum. And and it's it's a question of do you want to do it? Let's talk about physicality because Rasmus Salinum was uh, an acquisition that Chuck Fletcher made in the offseason. He played a pretty good price to get him, uh, but he brings a whole lot of meanness to him. He's not a fighter. Like he's not a guy that's going to drop the glove. and that's not his game, but he's incredibly physical and unrelenting. Um, he's only played in a couple of games because he didn't play right out of the gate. But w- what have you seen at Erasmus and that chemistry that should keep developing with him and Travis Sandheim together?
1: Well, I think he comes as advertised, both in the good and maybe in the not so good. What I mean by that is, um, You know, he, he likes being the guy that nobody likes to play against all of his now teammates who've played against him have all said, Oh my God, it's great not to have to go up against this guy that he's on our team. And it's become obvious why that is. So he's really hard to, he, he exacts a price to play against him. Um, But after the years in Buffalo and so many changes, um i'm not sure his development is where it might be had he started in another organization so he's more raw if i can use that word than a guy that's been in the league eight nine years should be um that might sound a little harsh but i i think that makes him a bit of a project and that's okay
0: yeah and the thing about him too I think his biggest dividends come in a seven game series when somebody that doesn't want to deal with him one game has to deal with them potentially in seven, like the compounding of effect, but he was in Buffalo. So he never saw the playoffs. And and it's like when you work on your car and you get grease all over your hands, you're not going to wash out all that grease off in one hand washing. Sometimes it takes a little time and you got to do multiple washings and there's, there's, there's Buffalo stink on them a little bit. Right. Right. I mean, we've seen other guys get out of there and, have success. You got to wonder like if they traded Jeff Skinner if he could go out and score 30. <laughs> you know what I mean? He went there, signed the big ticket, and then Sam, and then can't do anything. Same as Buffalo or him.
1: Sam Reinhardt was one of the few guys I thought that had numbers there and it didn't really hurt him. He's obviously moved on now. Uh but look at Taylor Hall's numbers. And it, you don't have to look any more past that. I mean, yeah. he struggled in in Buffalo and And what a great find he is now for the Boston Bruins.
0: So he's back to the player that I think uh, he was when he came into the league. And it's a shame because Buffalo is such a good hockey market. And it's fun when they're in the mix, but they just haven't been. But that's on them. That's not on us. Uh, Let me ask you about a a couple of the other new guys because, you know, Ryan Ellis missed the last game and we noticed his departure in the game because he's a very calming player like Matt Niskanen is, a three-zone defenseman, great at that initial pass out of the zone. And he's also got good offensive skills and chemistry with Ivan Provorov. You know, one of the issues last year I thought Tim was the constant switching of partners and lack of chemistry that you know can take place when you play with a guy night in and night out. Uh, Take aside the fact that he didn't play in that game. What did you see out of him in the three games that he did? Because I think he's been really good, and the chemistry between him and Provorov seems apparent.
1: He has been good, and you know everybody points to they didn't replace Matt Niskanen. when uh, when he surprised them by retiring earlier than they anticipated. Um, he is a good replacement and might actually be an upgrade from Matt Niskanen in, in that slot. Um, I tried to highlight this in our Open the other night after the Boston game. I think the big takeaway from me or for me from that Boston game, everybody talks about that perfection line. You're not going to stop them. You hope to contain them, right, the, one of the highest scoring lines in the league. They only scored one goal. And it was after an icing, so the Flyers didn't have the matchup that they wanted. They didn't have uh, the top line, Couturier's line, out there. But more importantly, they didn't have Provorov and Ryan Ellis out under the ice against him when when Marchand scored that goal. Other than that, uh, that line was shut down. Um, And Provorov and Ellis are going to be a really good shut-down top D pair. And I think that's where their value is going to be felt most.
0: Yeah, do you feel like, I noticed this from two years ago when things went well to last year when they didn't. Top lines two years ago against the Flyers were more than controlled. They not only limited them in a big way. I mean, Ovechkin in four games didn't have a point, was minus four. But they they also outscored the opposition top lines in that year. Last year, without a legit top pair, um, top lines like Mika Zibanejad, like that perfection line, like Alex Ovechkin, like Sidney Crosby, they all feasted on them. You have to have that, or else you're going nowhere.
1: Just that Boston line—they had 18 goals against oh my the God. Flyers in eight games collectively, and they didn't have anything to show for a night against
0: uh, Provorov and Ryan Ellis. That's encouraging to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, let's look at you know another guy off to an amazing start, and you know the Flyers this off season, a lot of people look at this as you're taking a risk. You're signing a guy when he still has a year left to go on his entry-level contract, and you're extending him. And you're giving him really good money in Joel Faraby and giving him that six-year, $30 million deal. And sometimes the fear is, hey, that's a young player that's getting a lot of money. He doesn't feel like he's got to go out and you know work for it anymore. I know the contract doesn't kick in until next year, but he's going to get it no matter what. Boy, has he come in and just been absolutely all over the place, in all zones, and is putting up the numbers to boot. Yeah, and the chemistry that is obviously
1: developing between he and Cam Atkinson Oof. I think is really exciting. It's fun to see a veteran mesh with what is the youngest player on this team in Joel Farabee and and elevate each other. And I think that's going to be great to watch. I kind of hope they leave those two together for a time. You know, we know none of these lines are going to be together forever for long stretches of time. I can only think of one line in the NHL that stayed together all of last season uh, for the most part. So changes are inevitable, but I'd like to see those two stay and see what they can build. Cause uh, the first four games, boy, that's been fun to watch.
0: Yeah. I keep getting these tweets from people and they say, what are the flyers going to do when Kevin Hayes goes back? What are they going to do with Broussard? Don't worry about that right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's, that's a ways off still let's enjoy that line having great success and, and Farabee and Atkinson are like two honeybees and, and the net is the the honey net (laughs) and they just go there. And, but, but both also possess the ability to shoot the puck really well. And we've seen that from Atkinson already. He just seems to me Tim like an energy guy, That everything he does, he does with a smile and with a ton of energy, whether it's killing penalties, whether it's on the power play or five on five or hanging out in the locker room. He just seems like one of those infectious guys that when you're around them or on the ice with them, it's fun.
1: Yeah. And the Flyers haven't had that shoot first guy for a little while. Um, Who's the last one? Not only. Boy, I don't know. Is it Um, Kanye? Well, maybe that's going back quite a ways. I'd hate to think it's been that long, but not only is he going to elevate Joel Farabee and vice versa, but I think he, maybe, maybe he's already had that positive impact on Claude Giroux because Giroux has suddenly got a shoot first mentality and uh, he's got some goals to, to show for it. So uh, I love that. If, if Claude will look more to shoot more than he has.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's strange, you know, to see him on the power play in that game against Florida that tied the score at one on the right side, number one. And then number two just loaded up and bomb it. And a clear sighted shot beats Bobrovsky there, high blocker. I was stunned by that. I mean, that was a, Klotska always had a good shot and a good one time shot on that left side. But to just stand up and bomb it from the right side there, and he was a ways out and blow it by him, whew. I was impressed with that.
1: He always has wanted to be that setup guy kind of uh and make his line
0: mates better. He can do that by scoring. And maybe if he's shooting more, that's not a bad thing. And that's a variable for the other team, too, now, all of a sudden, that he's not going to just distribute and he's off to a good start with the four points. Travis Keneckney team is a guy that I said was very important because the difference between a game Travis Connectney and when he's not playing well, you know, for some players, that that gap is not that far apart, but I always felt like it's really far apart for Travis. And and maybe part of that is just the confidence of the player too. And I love that after a couple of the games, he said, you know, where his line did cash in, we still got to be better. We haven't been good enough. Yeah, I, I just see a guy that's really taken a big step in maturity as a player on yeah. and off the ice.
1: And I think you can point to his private life, his personal life uh, as part of that reason, but being in the league for a few years, you're right. The difference between, TKA and TKB is, is there's a big gap there. There were times he disappeared, I thought in games last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't seen that yet this year. So hopefully that trend continues too.
0: yeah, he's been so impressive and, uh, you know, having the kid in the off season. I told him the other night when I talked to him, I said, you know, being a dad looks good on you, man. (laughs) It just looks good on him. Right. Give it a few years. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. Well, his, <laughs> baby's young. You're right about that. Uh, but I couldn't imagine hitting the reset button going back to diapers again either. No <laughs> thanks. Uh, let me ask you about being in the building with fans again because you were at every game last year with no fans in an empty building where they were playing an NHL game. And then eventually fans got integrated. But even when fans got integrated, it was kind of already off the rails, it wasn't a great environment. And also on the road, obviously, last year you're doing games at the building while it's dark, off a monitor. But what's it been like to have that that barn full again and rocking? Because they've the, the fans have had something to cheer about, and the Flyers have brought it physicalness and and good play. Has done that good saves. What's that been like?
1: You know, you uh, you preface uh, this. Today, when you said, uh, when you said we'd chat today about this and you said that was going to be one of the subjects we talk about, and I hadn't given it much thought, to be honest with you, doing the games the way we had to last year, your mindset going in, at least mine was, you're so focused on trying to make it sound as normal and authentic as you can. You're focused so much on that, keeping your own energy level where it normally would be that the lack of the crowds was not something I was constantly um, aware of, conscious of, but now doing games with that in the background. Oh my God. Um, It affects everybody's energy, including mine. And, and that you kind of forgot, or I kind of forgot how much more fun it makes the game and calling the game when the energy in the building is what we've
0: seen. Is it the organic rises of crowd and, the organic explosion of a goal or the organic, you know, when a ref misses a call and everybody starts boo it. It's all of those things, isn't it? It's all of it. it yeah. Absolutely is all of it. Um, you're gonna go on the road this week for the first time. Now you did a couple of preseason games on the road, but you're gonna go back on the road. You guys got the first road trip and it's a pretty decent one heading to Edmonton. Wednesday, then it's going to be a quick turnaround right to Vancouver. So from Alberta to BC, then back to Alberta to take on Calgary, Um, you know, getting on the road and crossing the border and going into Canada for the first time in a couple of years. Are you looking forward to it? Um, Yeah,
1: Um, I'm disappointed that we don't get to spend more than a few hours in Vancouver because that's one of the most beautiful cities. Exactly what I said to Joe. (laughs) um that's one of my favorite places to go and we're not going to be there very long um yeah it's fun to get back in that routine and see the other buildings and experience those crowds um you know that are cheering for the other side um to be honest with you the work though especially with three games and four nights and this is the first time we've seen all those teams except vancouver uh it's mostly work. So I'm, I won't be out in a Calgary bar or a, an Edmonton night spot the night before a game. Cause there's, there's more prep work that's required, but it'll be fun to be on the road and, and get in that routine again. Cause
0: uh, it's been too long since we've been there. Yeah. So we won't get any uh, videos on social media of you riding a mechanical bull in Calgary. You know what the, uh, the,
1: I'm sure your phone does the same thing. It reminds you of this day, two years ago, photos. Mm-hmm. And what came up either yesterday or today was two years ago, the biplane trip that we took in Vancouver, the the water plane, whatever they call this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taryn Hatcher, I, and uh, Brian Elliott went up. Uh, for a piece that they did on comcast and it was spectacular i love that city anyway but that was a a wonderful experience and it's little things fun things like that that we occasionally get to do on the road that uh uh, that
0: you look forward to and you really enjoy and makes uh, it all worthwhile and it's been a while since we've been able to do any of that yeah provided you can't you don't go into vancouver the night after a game (laughs) and have to play that night you know you I mean, I'll, see, I'll see the hotel
1: and the Starbucks and the rink. And that's pretty much the extent of what I'm going to see in Vancouver.
0: Uh, let, let's take people behind the scenes real quick for your road trips because everybody always kind of like, I think that sports fans are always really curious what happens. I think that's why, like 24 seven shows like Road to the Winter Classic and, you know, all of those hard knocks in the NFL, I think that they do the sport a lot of good because it shows pe- the players and the people around it as people. Uh, to some extent. I think some ham it up when the cameras are around, but it also shows stuff that you never knew. Like, I think it's why people fell in love with Peter LaViolette because they, you know, got to have some jam and I'm not putting up with it and all that stuff. But, you know, when you guys get on the plane on, on a road trip and you've been out for a little while and you have a bad loss, is, is that felt on the plane? Is there a attention on that plane when you guys get on it?
1: You know, it's an interesting question because that the answer to that has changed over the years. It used to be not too long ago that you would hear a pin drop after a bad game or a loss of any kind. Um, And you kept yourself and you kept it quiet and and you you sure as hell weren't laughing because what are you laughing about? We just lost the game. That's changed a little bit. Um, Last year, it was noticeable sometimes or... Uh, Two years, three years ago, it was noticeable sometimes how drastically that had changed. Um, I'm I'm not sure if that comes from the top down or not,
0: but... um, Or generationally, right?
1: Or or generationally. I think it's changed, you're right, uh, generationally. Um, But bottom line is nobody's hooting and hollering after a loss because this is... I don't want to say life and death because it's not, but sometimes it feels like it is and it's uh, treated that way. Sometimes maybe that's not a good thing, but um, after a bad loss, you're expected to shut the hell up, get on the plane and look down and, uh,
0: and get some work done and, shut and up feel some it. shame
1: as yeah. the old,
0: the old line in Slamsha. Um, let me ask you about, you know, cause one of the things a ritual that probably no longer will take place is when you guys get on the plane on the road, everybody, Drops trowel, gets changed into something comfortable. The players can now wear like a sweatsuit on the road. So the changing station won't be there anymore.
1: I was just telling my wife that that it's going to be weird getting on a plane tomorrow in a in track suit kind of. Yeah. Um, sweatpants companies. and a sweatshirt and something comfortable and not have a suit on. Because uh, the rule has always been uh, we travel w- in suits. Uh, certainly after a game we will be. But, yeah, that'll be a little weird. Yeah. Um, but um, we got a long flight tomorrow, so it'll make it a little bit more comfortable.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to be comfortable on a plane. It's a plane for me is just uncomfortable anyway. Not that like my knees are going to the seat in front of me and you guys aren't flying like I fly. But, you know, I, I thought that was always interesting that something people didn't know is that the players, as soon as they get on the plane, they get changed. <laughs> they would get out of the suits. I'll tell you a weird story. And I, there's no reason to go into this. But in, in my Central Hockey
1: League days, we had a sleeper bus And if you know what a sleeper bus Mm -hmm. is, all of uh, the seats fold into uh, bunk beds almost. And everybody's laying down and sleeping on this bus. Now, you can situate them so you can play cards and sit, but most everything is like a bunk bed. And we had a coach, and I won't get into who, but a pretty well-known former NHL player who was our coach would get in, get in his sleeping bag gear completely down in his sleeping bag, not a stark of clothes on him. And it's not a stick and he'd go to sleep until you pull into that city. And then he's uh, trying to get dressed inside his sleeping. It was a little weird. Oh my <laughs> Nobody's doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's the one thing about the NHL. It's great is you don't have those kind of travel accommodations yeah. anymore. It's top flight. Uh, so Edmonton Wednesday, Vancouver Thursday, and they'll wrap it up against uh, Calgary on Saturday. Uh, A successful trip, possible six points, got to be four, right? Four points out of six?
1: Yeah, uh, we're early enough in the season where I'd answer that um, even more than the points. It might be how those games play out and how they look in those games. Optics. optics, um, If you win two of the three and you didn't play well and you were lucky to win, uh, that's a little different. Um, if you play really well and you don't get a bounce here or there and you come away with only one win, well I think you can look at that a little differently too. So I think it, it, it might go more than just wins and losses. Early in the season, you can
0: you have that luxury. The later you go, the less you do. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, they're going from a team in Florida that improved to 5 and0 to take on an Edmonton team that as we record this, is 5 and so there's, two, there's three teams in the NHL, actually four. One of them's in the division. The Hurricanes are 4 0. The Panthers are 5 0. The Blues are 4 0. And the Edmonton Oilers are 5 0. Um, last thing for you, Tim, this division, as I look at it here on Sunday evening, the Metro, uh, it's, it's reassembled. I think people we always look at Carolina and think of Carolina what they've been for many years, which wasn't that great. But we didn't see them last year, and they're a really good team despite losing Hamilton, despite losing Nedeljkovic. Uh, they're a really good team back in this division. I'm still waiting for the demise of the Penguins and the and the Caps due to age, but it hasn't happened. They don't have a regulation loss on the ledger yet. They've each played five games. Uh, the Flyers right now just one loss. Uh, you know the Devils off to a good three and one start. The Rangers at the top of the division after having an overtime loss and a loss in regulation have now one, four straight and every team in the division with the exception, oddly enough of the Islanders is plus plusing gold differential. This mm-hmm. division is going to be an absolute bear this season.
1: And I think it's wide open. Um, I, I don't think you know yet who any of these teams are going to ultimately be. Um, I had the Islanders winning it, but as you say, that's the one team that's not off to a great start. Still no Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. I'm improve from last year and still making the playoffs and be the thing they're dealing with all year. I think
0: it's amazing that, that the, the penguins and the caps, like these guys are North of 34 years old and like Ovechkin's got no signs of slowing down. Uh, how the Flyers going to slow down Connor McDavid? You know what, as
1: far <laughs> as age is concerned um, that came out at the start of the year, they ranked the team's youngest to oldest. And with the changes the flyers made, uh, they've become, from they've gone from one of the youngest teams to I think the fourth oldest teams but if you 29. look at 4. those teams yeah if you look at those teams the teams at the bottom of that list the older teams are all playoff teams The teams at the top of the list that are younger aren't all playoff teams so um that's something that Chuck Fletcher identified. He thought they were too young last year in some spots. You were putting too much on young guys and untested guys in the NHL. And that's why he brought some of the veterans in that he did. And I think it's going to pay dividends.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because you're right. The Flyers are the fourth or 28.8. The Islanders older than the Flyers at 29.4 Dallas at 29.5 the caps at 29 six and look at the teams on the, on the young end of it, with the exception of the Rangers, you know, the devils, the blue jackets, the senators, the ducks, the red wings, the sabers, all rebuilding uh, the Rangers at 25.5. Um, look like be, it could be a team that's poised uh, to deal uh, to, to really be a factor in this division. I, I lied. The last thing for you team, because you kind of alluded to it earlier and I was listening to kind of bring this interview full circle. <laughs> I just forgot about it until now, but you mentioned that, in this division there's a lot more strength a little bit more meanness added with the addition of guys like Ryan Reeves and we some people call this the Tom Wilson effect but I think we see this around the NHL and maybe the team that started it was actually Tampa Bay from when they got swept and then won back-to-back cups when they went out and got guys like Pat Maroon and Gaudreau and Blake Coleman you see a little bit of the game kind of correcting itself now from just hey we got to get all the speed and skill we can but and recognizing that we need to have some character players and guys that can be physical and, and kind of dictate a game that way with accountability and hard work.
1: I think it's always been to a degree, a copycat league. Um, You see what's effective, what the cup winners or the two teams that are in the finals did, how they built their, their rosters. And I think you find teams trying to emulate some of that and it, it changes in time, but I think that's been true for, For years and maybe decades. So I don't think that's a new phenomenon.
0: And I think it's a good thing because it adds a little bit of storyline in a way to it. You know, where you have guys in in each city, like when Rasmus Versalining goes to New York, and if there's a lot of physicality against certain players on the Rangers, there's going to be a storyline that develops there. Just it yeah. just happens,
1: you know, as, as long as it's not counterproductive, right? I mean, you know Cozy and I want to yeah. see that physicality and that energy. and but of course, there's a line there, and you you need to stay on the right side of that
0: line, yeah. well, it's interesting too. Uh you know, the size the d- size of a defense corps, over the last decade that goes far in the playoffs is you got to have some size back there as well to be able to clear the front of the net and get through those seven game series and uh, win the war. That is the NHL playoffs. That's a long way off. We got our first road trip. You'll be on the plane coats. You'll be on the plane and uh, it'll be great to hear you guys live from Edmonton, live from Vancouver and live from Calgary. So have a safe trip, Tim. Thanks for doing this.
1: Okay, Chase. Good talking to you.
0: Thanks to Tim Saunders for taking the time to join us on this edition of Flyers Daily. They'll cross the border, head to Edmonton on Wednesday where the Flyers will see Edmonton, Vancouver, and then back to Alberta to take on Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Gaudreau, and the Calgary Flames. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode. Day before game edition tomorrow on Flyers Daily. What will we have in store? Well, tune in and find out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great Monday. Get your week off to a good start, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's Flyers Daily.